We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Good morning. Would you please open your Bible to first, excuse me, second John. Second John, too used to saying first John. We'll be in second John this morning, and because of the brevity of the letter, we will read the whole thing. Give you a moment to turn there. While you're turning there, uh, there is some debate on whether this is written to a church or whether to an individual person and her children. I take the view, and I think Pastor does, although he can correct me shortly after if I'm wrong, that this is to a particular lady. Uh, I'll just note this. When it says the elect lady, we take the belief when it comes to the doctrine of election that churches are not elected. Individuals are elected. And so I take that one reason uh, to believe that this is written to uh, a believing woman and her children. Let's read God's word. Second John, beginning in verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from the God from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth, as we received commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves, that we do not lose those things which we, things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Having many things to write to you, I, do, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink. But I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. I just want to make one more note when you look at uh, verses 10 and 11 about showing hospitality. I don't take John to be saying that we can never have unbelievers in our home. That's not what he's saying. He's saying don't have those who profess Christ 
but don't follow his doctrine into your home and accept them. We take the view that we should be hospitable to our neighbors, to unbelievers, to invite them into our home, to share the gospel with them. So be careful not to understand it in that way and therefore then uh, withhold hospitality from those who need to hear Christ in your home and see it exemplified there. May the Lord bless the reading of that word. Transition now to uh, a little update for you as a church family from my family and then also from, from pastor as well. Um, what I'm going to share with you is, isn't really any change of plans. It's really just a reiteration of uh, how the Lord is calling us and leading us. When I say us, I mean uh, my family, but also I think you're, us as a church family as well. And so I just want to share this little update with you um, as we enter uh, kind of into this stage of ministry and uh, also just reiterate some of our plans. This is a letter that's going to be sent, uh, Lord willing, to the candidate community of uh, committee of uh, Gospel Mission of South America. And uh, it's somewhat of a letter of intent from our family to them. I'll just read it here. It says, We, meaning uh, my family, are eager to share of our conviction that we have been called to serve the Lord in great commission work by establishing reproducing local churches. Presently, it seems good that we serve in northern Chile with a future prospect of helping to plant churches in southern Peru. We intend to apply for candidacy in GMSA in the next year or two in hopes that we can partner with Gospel Mission of South America as missionaries sent out by Fellowship Bible Church, where I currently serve as the assistant pastor. And then I have a note here as to our current vision and timeline for ministry preparation. Kindly note the attached letter from Pastor Mo- Matt Postiff, who will be sharing some of that letter here just in a moment. So, uh, again, these are not uh, new plans. Perhaps it's new to your ears because you're visiting with us, or maybe we haven't had this personal conversation uh, in the last uh, year or two. But uh, if you have any questions about this, I would love to speak with you about it, or you can talk to Kaylee. These have been our plans all along, and I have appreciated your guys' prayers for us, as well as this stage of ministry. We don't see this as unimportant or just uh, kind of intermediary to our future ministry. We see this as critical uh, to our ministry preparation and to the ministry that the Lord has for us now, but not losing sight of what we feel God is calling us to do in the future years. And so we ask and covet your prayers as the Lord continues to work and prepare us and to uh, uh, use us where he sees fit. So I'll invite Pastor to come now and share a few more thoughts on that note. Thank you, uh, Jansen. Yeah, we've been uh, working on this for some time, uh, as you may have expected. Of course, uh, Jansen and Kaylee have been with us for uh, four years plus now, isn't it already? That's amazing. Yeah, since twenty summer of 2019. So um, one of the things that we wanted to do was, well, two things, really. One, for ourselves, kind of plan next steps and be strategic about it. And then also, for the sake of Gospel Mission of South America, you know, we've talked about this and the idea has kind of been bounced around, but we thought it would be good to put a stake in the ground for their strategic planning as well so that they can know, like, okay, somebody is planning to come. It's not just pie in the sky. It's real, you know, it's real. And uh, we can start planning because to, to, 
to plan for church planting is, you know, you don't just show up and say hi and then drop in on out of a parachute and start doing something. You've got, you know, planning and preparation and work and raising support and language school and all of that. So we wanted to kind of start getting some, uh, you know, posts in the ground here instead of just talking about it. And uh, so we are going to send this to the Candidate Committee of Gospel Mission of South America, which in the mission is a, a body on which, of which I'm a part, which receives in, um, applications from potential missionaries, evaluates those applications uh, after the general director looks at them all and goes over them and speaks with the pastor, sending church and all that, and then uh, interview the candidate and do a doctrinal interview and things like that, uh, and then receive, recommend them to the full U.S. board, and then the U.S. board votes to uh, have them as candidates, missionary candidates, and do candidate school, and then uh, appoint them to a particular field. So um, what I've written here is that the Fellowship Bible Church leadership and church family presently intend to recommend Jansen and Kaylee Lorch for missionary service with GMSA. We hope to function as a sending and supporting church to help them plant churches in South America. Our purpose in sending you this letter is to put somewhat of a stake in the ground for ourselves and to assist you in field planning. Before their departure to the field, we plan to support the Lorches in the completion of Jansen's seminary training and continue to assist them with housing and support as they enter the support raising and language school portions of their pre-field ministry. We are hopeful that they can achieve their goal of working in northern Chile in church planting. And then I have a timeline here. It's just kind of a, a draft or a sketch with some things that can be done earlier or later uh, that I won't go over, but uh, suffice it to say that over the course of the next two years to three years, there's going to be a lot of action uh, in these areas. So we want to keep praying for Jansen and Kaylee, praying for our, our part as a church, uh, things like uh, officially recognizing our brother for a gospel ministry and ordination, in other words, um, finishes training, language school, applying to the mission, um, uh, what else? Uh, yeah, beginning deputation and all of that sort of thing. So it's going to be a uh, kind of a newish experience for us as a church, uh, but it's going to be a good experience, and it's going to be uh, stretching for us, but I'm looking forward to it. So you be in prayer with us if you would. Uh, again, really no change. It's just now a little more real, you know, uh, more concrete uh, that uh, they'll be, uh, the Lorches will be moving on from this launching pad to uh, their next endeavor. So may God bless you guys in that, and may he bless our assembly as we uh, endeavor to assist with it as well. Let's turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 4, if you would please, and begin this new chapter in the Gospel of Luke. The Introductory section of Luke is behind us. Chapters 1 and 2 recounted the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Christ, the Son of God. Luke, we saw, skipped over the years of growth through the teenage years and 20s of both of these men and quickly gets to John's preaching, which marks the way for Messiah's public introduction. Jesus uh, marked his affiliation with John and John's message of repentance by sharing in John's baptism that signified that message of repentance. 
Uh, of course, Jesus being the one who provided for repentance to be effectual for salvation, not that he needed it himself. Luke finishes the introductory material with the genealogy of Jesus in the end of chapter 3, verses 23 to 38, connecting Jesus to Mary, to Israel, to, uh, to humanity, to Abraham, uh, and to God. And so then we begin, begin, begin the action, if you will, uh, although I know chapter 3 began the action with uh, John's baptism of Jesus, but really now uh, we're in the introductory phase of Jesus' ministry, and he begins in a very dark scene in chapter 4. Let us read together. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit. Some uh, have this as was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only. You shall serve. Then he, that is Satan, brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God or put him to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. The devil does five things here in this passage of Scripture, which remind us that the devil always does these five things in his work on the world. The first of those is that the devil tempts or entices people to sin. Now, he does not make people do wicked things. Only perhaps rarely could you make the case that he made somebody do something. You could argue, for example, that he exercised such a deep influence on Judas. You remember Judas who betrayed Jesus? Such a deep influence on Judas that Judas sinned. But even in this case, Judas is not free from guilt because he had agency in the matter and was morally culpable. Jesus said it would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And Paul, or, um, Peter says in Acts one twenty five, Judas transgressed and went to his own place. He knew better than to do what he did. And the evidence of that is truly right in the Scripture for us. When he regretted what he did, he said, I betrayed the innocent blood, and then he went and, and uh, hung himself. So we know that... He had agency in the matter, even though Satan did enter into him. 
But basically, we can never really say the devil made me do it. He didn't make you do it. You did whatever the sin was of your own free will. You chose to do the wrong, at least initially. I say that at least initially kind of language because I know when somebody begins down a path, they don't necessarily choose to get the end of the path immediately. In other words, you start taking drugs. You started for the little pleasure that it was. You didn't, you didn't start because you chose to have the end in which you were in the gutter and your life was in the trash can. But that's where that stuff takes you when you go down that path. So at least initially you began and then you might have become addicted or somebody might have been victimizing you and so on. But general case, we're sitting here today, we don't need the devil's help to sin because he has an ally inside of us that is strong and able to entice us to sin. That ally is called the sin nature. That ally, your sin nature, entices you, draws you to sin, causes desire to well up inside of you, and you do then those things that displease the Lord. Now, again, we're not going to cut the devil out of the situation entirely because he may have arranged a situation perhaps to present to you, but he did not make you to choose to sin in that situation. Especially in the case when you're a Christian person, when you're a Christian, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And the Spirit of God is simply greater than the devil. He who is in you is greater than, you know that verse, many of you do. The devil who roams about in the world seeking somebody to devour, seeking somebody to cause to sin, if you're a Christian, you have the Spirit of God, you are able to overcome those temptations. No temptation has taken you except such as is common to man. And God will provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. But despite what I've just said as far as the limitation on the power of the devil, ultimately his power is limited because he cannot go, any, he cannot go beyond what God permits him to go. Remember with Job? You know, God says, okay, but not his life. You can take away his family, his things, his property, even take away his health in the second chapter, but not his life. It stops right there. So there are limitations on his power, but despite that, the devil is active in our world. I think we saw that last week in a big way. The whole world lies under his sway. He is the prince of the power of the air. He works in the children of disobedience. He moves in some individuals and influences unbelievers in various ways. I understand his work as largely involving uh, nation-level things, movement-level ideas, philosophies, uh, leaders of nations. And all of that combined has an influence on individuals. I mean, if you could only see, if you're, if you're, you know, your eyes are only able to see certain wavelengths of, electromag of the electromagnetic spectrum. Just a very narrow sliver that has all these colors in it that you see. If you could see beyond that to uh, where there are other electromagnetic things like radio and things like that, you would just, it would just be all static. I mean, it'd be fuzz. It'd be too much input. But if you could take that vision and 
tune it to see spiritual things. You could see the work of the devil on the national and international level and the movements that we see today with regard to all the perversions that happen in the world. He is pushing those things out there. And he uses those and, and gets them into media and schools and uh, you know books and academics and all of this. And he uses it to influence individuals and he uses teachers to teach children and young people to hold to certain philosophies and all of that. We saw a, a form of this unfold in the past week with the violence in the Middle East. The utter savagery of it is just beyond, beyond the comprehension in a way of the Christian, although it's not because we know what depravity is. Do you believe the Bible when it says their feet are swift to shed blood? Well, that's what it is. You know, people talk about this violence going, it's like, you know, it takes us back to pre-modernity. Like, what's so great about modernity? We slaughter babies all the time. Their hands are swift to shed blood. And we're no better than our forefathers of centuries gone past. But when it comes out in, you know, this kind of open way of total, you know, Old Testament kind of brutality of ripping babies from their mother's womb and beheading children and all of this, it gets our attention. It should get our attention. And uh, I was working on a, a letter of support to a Jewish organization that I haven't sent yet, but I hope to in the next day or two. And, uh, you know, in, in, in there I said, among other things, you know, we have a, a, a very keen... Uh, interest in the nation of Israel for a number of reasons as Christians. One of the things that I said in there is that we support governments punishing evildoers. We don't have any hesitation about saying that if a, if a, if a people are attacked like that, that the government is more than well-founded to go after those people and to punish them. Punish them. Now, that, that's not a nice thing. It's not, it's unpleasant. But God has given an assignment for human governments to praise those who do well and to what? Punish evildoers. So we're not talking about vengeance. We're not talking about retaliation. We're talking about punishment. Get that in your mind. That's the biblical notion that is happening over there in the Middle East. And, but this is just, and that's why do we need that? Because the devil is doing these things and moving people and their depravity is, interacting with what the devil wishes for them to do and they're choosing to do these terrible, terrible things. Jesus, or sorry, the devil tried to work on Jesus, his sinful powers, as we see in this chapter, but it didn't work. It didn't work. Now, let me dispense immediately with the question raised by some doubters when they suggest that since Jesus could or do no wrong, could not or, or would not do any wrong, therefore he could not truly be tempted. Have you ever heard that before? Oh, well, he, you know, he, th this kind of a fake temptation because he couldn't sin anyway. Well, read with me the text, would you please? I don't run with people who doubt like that, the Bible, because the text of Scripture plainly says, these words. He returned, Jesus did, from the Jordan, full of the Spirit, was led into the wilderness 
Verse 2, being tempted 40 days by the devil. The way that you dispense with the doubts about God's word is you believe God's word. Okay? You know, when, 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 when the serpent came to another human being, in this case a woman, back in the garden, he said, has God said, did God really say not to eat of the tree, the, midst of the, uh, the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden? And she began to think, hmm, that's a good question. No, it's not a good question. Okay? If somebody says to you, no, he didn't really get tempted, you go to verse 2 and you say, well, the Bible says he was tempted. That's good enough for me. He was tempted. He was really human, right? Jesus was. He's not just an apparition of a human. He was truly a human. Of course, this temptation was a test from God. It wasn't a temptation from God in the sense because God doesn't solicit anybody to do evil, okay? He doesn't tempt any man. But the devil is pleased to use whatever means he can to try to get Jesus or anyone, you, to do wrong things. And that's what we call temptation. He is trying to get Jesus to sin. That is what a temptation is. Now, another kind of objection comes up in here in this way. Did Jesus have the power For example, to turn stones into bread, do you suppose? God could raise up from these stones children to Abraham, uh, or he could, the stones would call out to praise Jesus, you know. And and he basically took, you know, thin air and turned it into bread to feed 5,000 men and women and children on top of that in Matthew chapter 14. So, yes, he could. In a non-sinful situation, create food. But he could not and would not do that in a situation in which the act would be a sin. And that is the context here. So Satan tries to tempt us, to entice us to sin. Secondly, Satan tries to get us to depend on ourselves instead of on the Lord. That's what the first one is about. He said, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. You know, you yourself can take care of this problem that you have, that you're hungry. But Jesus wouldn't do it. He wouldn't depend on himself. He was, had learned in person the lesson that the people of Israel learned that when God caused them to go hungry for a while in the wilderness so that they would learn what? That man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And I was just thinking of the kind of, I can do it myself, or I'll pull myself up by my own bootstraps mentality. It's a very common one. Certainly there are things you can and should do and on, your, you know, on your own from your human, human perspective, but listen, you can do nothing without God. Nothing. Think of it. God made you through whatever indirect means. You can say, no, my mom and my dad made me. No, well, God made you. He knit you together in your mother's womb, and he made that process all the way back from when he created Adam and Eve of reproduction to get down to you. God made you. He gave you the abilities you have, the background you have, the upbringing you have, the brains you have, the family you have. He gave you the resources that you have. Everything. There's nothing that you have that you haven't what? 
received. Everything, your intellect, all of your abilities, your body, your physical strength, especially if you're a young person, your health, all of that is from the Lord. You find that out most keenly when some part of that is taken away, right? And you realize, oh, yesterday I was well, today I'm not. What happened? Well, God chose to allow you to fall into that situation, probably to teach you something like what he did to the Israelites, that you would depend on him and not on yourself. And sometimes the things you can do yourself, you know, the pull yourself up by your bootstraps things, you should not be doing. And here, Jesus or Satan is rather trying to get Jesus to live independently of God the Father, to take care of his needs with his own powers to supply it. And no doubt he had the power to do it, but it wasn't right in this context at the behest of Satan enticing you to do it. You know, look, if, if you sense that something, if some evil influence, some evil person, some influence from the devil is trying to get you to do something, you know what the safest thing to do is? <laughs> Don't do it. Leave. Run. You know it's going to be wrong. It's not like he's trying to help Jesus here, right? Huh. Do you think that he's concerned, that the devil is concerned that Jesus would, would, in whatever Jesus does, that he would honor the Father? That in whatever he does, he would express faithful dependence on God? Do you think that the devil wants him in his motivation to be motivated by the glory of God? Not at all. Not at all. Now, we might be able to say, well, I'm never going to face the kind of temptation that Christ did because well, I simply don't have the power to turn stones into bread. But in our lesser human way, mere human way, limited way, we can be tempted to provide for our legitimate needs in an illegitimate way. Very much like Satan tried Jesus. What we want to do is we want to go with God's way, not with our own contrived ways. You know, people think, oh, I have to do this because I'm in this fix, and I've got to get out of this by, by hook or by crook. And they might mean by crook. <laughs> no, never. You never need to do it that way. Follow God's ways. Thirdly, Satan tries to get us to worship him. So he tries to entice us. He tries to get us to depend on ourselves. He tries to get us to worship him. Notice the devil took him up on a high mountain in verse 5, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in the moment of time, and he said, I'll give it all to you. I'll give it all to you because it's mine to give. Well, he thinks more is his to give than it is his to give. No, no doubt he's deceived that way. But worshiping anything other than the triune God of Scripture is idolatry. Worshiping anything other than the triune God of Scripture is a win in, in the devil's book. Okay? Worshiping idols, worshiping made-up gods, worshiping the gods of false religions, worshiping yourself or nature or science or human ingenuity or materialism, all amount to worship of the devil because his wiles are behind all of those systems of thought. And when you do those things, what do they promise? Well, they kind of, to, put, to kind of turn a phrase, they promise the world to you. 
The devil promises the world to you. But he cannot deliver on that promise. Because people die and face judgment. He kind of forgets conveniently to tell people that. Secondly, the world is not ultimately his to give. It's just under his temporary you know, rulership at the moment. And three, he himself, the devil, will be judged and locked away forever to be punished for his rebellion. So he thinks he can give this. He doesn't have it to give. He's not going to last long enough to give it, and you're not going to last long enough to receive it. So there are a few problems with this idea that he's going to give you the world. Fourthly, Satan attempts to get us to put God to the test. It's as if he says to Jesus here, do this dangerous thing and God will protect you. It's not your time yet, so you can feel free to presume upon God's kindness and protection, especially if you're the son of God. Won't he protect you then, Jesus? So he takes him to Jerusalem, puts him on a pinnacle of the temple, uh, probably overlooking the Kidron Valley, perhaps hundreds of feet below. Cast yourself down, and he will keep charge over you with his angels, and they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. That's uh, Satan's quotation, so to speak, of of the Bible. Sometimes, as far as this first part here, of, of uh, well, this is number four, but in, the, in this part of casting yourself down and kind of broken it into two pieces, Satan attempts to get us to put God to the test. You know, we make excuses for our poor behavior. God will forgive me. You see how that's putting God to the test? God will protect me if I make some poor choices here, if I do some foolish things. God will keep me from the worst consequences. This is presuming on the Lord and entirely displeasing to Him. To rest in God's omnipotent power, to cover for our sinful propensities, is no way to live. It's no way to treat God. Just treat Him like a a, a rabbit's foot or a a helper that uh, does everything at your bidding a genie in the bottle. More to the point of the Old Testament illustration uh, that Jesus refers to, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. He's referring to the portion where they tested the Lord at Meribah, or what's also called Massa, when they thirsted and needed water, and they complained against Moses and against God. And we'll look at that as we have time in just a few moments. But they were outright rebelling against God. That was putting God to the test. Finally, number five on our list here of things we see as we kind of diagnose what Satan does, Satan misuses the Word of God. He misuses the Word of God. 2 Peter 3.16 tells us that unstable and untaught people twist the Scriptures to their own destruction. And if they do it, we would expect the king of lies to do it, We would expect the king of thieves, the king of murderers, the ruler of destruction to do the same. Abaddon, Apollyon, the serpent, that great Satan of old. Jesus confronted the rulers in Israel and told them, you're of your father the devil, the father of lies, murder, and all of that. 
Whatever it takes for him to lead people astray to destruction, he will do it. Whether it's, did God really say? Or just make an outright contradiction. No, God didn't say that. God didn't mean that. Or the devil even uses quotations of Scripture out of context to get people to do it. You know, some of the most awful heresies, the most insidious, are those that have taken a lot of verses from the Bible and put them in their own book. That's the devil's work. Or, you know, formats their book with chapters and verses to make it look like a holy book when it's a book from the pit. Full of deception out there. A couple of examples here, and then I have to watch my time. Peter uh, had a big failure when, in Matthew 16, he told the Lord, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Remember that when Jesus said, I'm, I'm about to go to Jerusalem and die and be buried and three days later rise. Peter says, hey, look, no, Lord, that's, that's, not, that's not the right. That, that's got to be wrong. That can't be the way. And what did Jesus do to him? Get behind me. Kind of sounds like this, doesn't it? Youch. Um, Peter failed in that temptation for him. He was not thinking in accordance with the ways of God or the word of God. He ought to have known that the Old Testament predicted a suffering servant. And that had to occur. In that passage in Matthew 16, Jesus diagnosed the problem. He said, you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. The things of worship so you can have charge over the world. The things like uh, filling your belly with food without depending on the Lord or the things of putting God to the test by rebelling against him, those kinds of things. Peter had those. You face temptations just like these. You know that. I do. You do. I know you. You know me. We know human nature. We know the temptations that we face. I hope, we, I hope we're self-aware of them. Now, I don't believe that we should take these temptations as being, you know, uh, softballs for Jesus. Like, Satan selected these temptations with him specifically in mind. He knows how to push your buttons, okay? The circumstances that the world in general provides push all of the wrong buttons on the human nature. Okay. Uh, you know, please note too here that Satan says twice, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, the temptations related to Jesus' identity as the Son of God. Supposedly, if he were the Son, he'd be able to prove it with certain actions. That same if, by the way, if you are the Son of God, came up in one other place. Do you remember where it was? If you are the Son of God, come down now from the cross. Save yourself. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. 
He died on the cross with people mocking him the same way that, that the devil talked to him three years earlier. Terrible. But he kept hanging there to die for your sins and for mine. Thank him for that. Furthermore, Jesus' temptations were not softballs because the text tells us, it says he was tempted for 40 days by the devil. It wasn't just three minutes here or or 70 seconds that it takes to read this passage that he was tempted. This was... There, was, there were more temptations in this. There was deeper temptation. There was more difficult things that Jesus faced. And these are just three of the culminating kind of highest or worst ones, you could say, or at the end of the 40 days. Luke only mentions a few of them. Well, I think I have to look through my message here and say I'm going to have to put a pause on it because of the time. Jesus responded to these temptations in a stellar fashion. But we're going to have to look at it next week. Sorry. (laughs) Father in heaven, we are grateful to you that you've instructed us so that we don't be unwise about the wiles of the devil. We know that we must put on the whole armor of God, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation, the shoes of the gospel of peace and the sword of the spirit all of those things that you talk about in Ephesians 6, to be able to overcome this, what the devil and his workers do, what the world does, what our sin nature tries to get us to do. Lord, help us to be wise about this, to be knowledgeable, to be careful, to be strong. Lord, may we have good success in these coming days in our walk with you, in Jesus' name, amen.